So this court-supervised process, uh, again, protects the estate until the distribution, does pay the taxes, does pay the debts, does identify heirs, and ultimately distributes the assets according to the wishes expressed in the will of the person who died. Some of the bad things about probate. First, anytime you get a court involved, it's always going to be delays and more money. Now, we, we believe that it's not ethical to charge a percentage of the estate as the fee. So on a couple million dollar estate, why should the estate attorney make what might be more than $100,000, $200,000 when uh, a fair hourly rate of say a couple hundred bucks an hour for the estate attorney and, and much less for the um, paralegal, et cetera, is what is, I believe, fair. That said, if we have to, if we as the estate attorneys have to help people go through probate, we have to deal with the court. We have some of these extra filing uh, costs and time. So even with an ethical attorney who's billing on an hourly basis, you're talking about more time. Um, delays, court costs. By the way, uh, this becomes a matter of public record. And before, when I was, let's say, in law school, if you were interested in looking up somebody's will, you had to go to this dusty, you had to go to the register of wills. There were these big books and these dusty rooms, and it was basically filled with people from the bank and law clerks and things like that. And I was one of those guys. And we would, for if we needed to look at somebody's will, uh, it was a matter of public record. There was something called a Russlander index, which you'd think to do it in alphabetical order, but it's kind of screwy. Um, but anyway, it, it, the point is, you didn't have easy access to somebody's will. Today, more and more counties are actually going online, making it a matter of public record. So a lot of people could find out, hey, I wonder what George said in his, in his will. I wonder who he left his money to. Well, a lot of people don't like that idea. Um, again, I mentioned a lot of attorneys, even today, are still charging a percentage. If the bank is the executor, then they're charging a percentage and the attorney's getting a percentage. When I, when I, was, I was working for Arthur Anderson um, when I was to support myself going through law school, and we had a client that I will, I will not name, but it was a large bank, and they, they, they needed somebody to help them out with the um, estate returns and the trust returns. And it's kind of a specialty area, and I was one of those guys. So I spent a number of months um, in the basement of this bank, cranking out tax returns. And to his credit, Frank DeMarco, who was my partner at the time, um, not my partner, I was a, <laughs> I was a low CPA um, going through law school. But anyway, he said to this bank, okay, we will do the work, but we're going to use Arthur Anderson quality, Means, meaning we're going to read the wills, we're going to read the trust, we're going to do the allocations the way they are supposed to, which means that we really got into a lot of these very large estates. And I'll tell you what I saw. I saw huge fees based on a percentage of the estate, and I did not see uh, terrific work being done. And then not only did the bank get a percentage of the estate, but then the bank would name whoever the attorney who was on the blue back, you know, which is that, that's that blue sheet that's on the back of a will, whoever's name was on that 
they also got a percentage of the estate, even though they didn't do much work at all. And I had two reactions. One, this is outrageous. This is a ripoff. This is not fair. Um, this is this practice should really be uh, highlighted and, and shown to the world. And the other reaction is, hmm, wonder if I can get in on this. Well, I did not go to the dark side. Uh, we don't do percentages. And typically, we actually don't even encourage people to go to uh, banks as trustees or executors. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, actually, not later, now. So the problem with the bank um, or you know, trust company is, first, the fees are often very high. Second, sometimes they will also not split the fee with the estate attorney, but they'll each get a percentage. Um, and I have yet to find a trust company whose work I think, oh yes, they do excellent work. I would feel very confident that they're doing the absolute most to reduce your con your, your tax consequences and to get everything uh, that is best with the idea of the greatest benefit to the family. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe it exists. Um, I'm not gonna say that there aren't benefits, but if we have a family member, and the family member doesn't have to be a genius. They, you know, the family member can hire out services. Like the, the family member who might be a, an executor doesn't have to be able to prepare tax returns. He can hire a CPA to do a tax return. He doesn't have to be an estate attorney. He can hire an estate attorney, not on a percentage basis, but on an hourly basis to help him. If he needs help with the investments, he can hire an investment person. And if the CPA doesn't do a good job or for one reason isn't satisfactory, the executor, if it's a family member or an individual, can fire the CPA. They can fire the estate attorney. They can fire the investment uh, advisor. But if they are, if you give up that power to a bank or a corporate executor or a corporate trustee, then, then it's, you, 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 might very well put your beneficiaries in a situation that isn't in their best interest. Now, I won't tell you that I've never used one, um, and sometimes we use it as a kind of a case of last resort. You know, number one, we named Joe. Number two, we named Susie. And if Joe and Susie are dead or unable to serve, then we name XYZ Bank. I can't tell you I've never done that, because I obviously have, but I'll just tell you that I have a bias in favor of individuals, and I'm not even saying necessarily individuals that have to be geniuses, um, just people who are honest and will be um, businesslike in their dealing with CPAs, estate attorneys, and investment. So then the other thing that I always get is, okay, let's say that just to keep life simple, let's say that you're married, you have two kids, and let's say that you name your spouse as the, as the primary executor, um, and you name each other. And then the question is, okay, well, who's going to be the executor after you're both gone? And what a lot of people do is they say, oh, okay, let's name both kids. Or worse, if there's three or four kids or even more, let's name them all co-executors. Well, that's just misery for a state administration because everything is, is decision by committee. And a lot of this, the work being done, very frankly, is pretty routine. And, and getting two signatures on everything just makes things kind of a mess. So what I recommend, if it's between two siblings, don't make them both. Pick the child that you like the least. All right, I'm being a little bit sarcastic here. But the point is, 
it is not an honor to be an executor or trustee. It's usually a burden. And if the child is smart, more times than not, they won't want to do it. But I'm not saying that you name a child because it's a great choice of executor or trustee. I'm saying it's because it's the least of the different evils. Um, it keeps control in the family. And again, they can hire out services. Um, don't put up with a percentage. It, it, why, why should some bank or some estate attorney get a percentage of um, your estate or your parents' estate or whoever died? Um, you know, again, on several million dollars, the fee can be tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars when on an hourly basis, it might be a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar job. Uh, you you, you want to make sure that you do that even before you let the, even if the estate attorney that you're using did the will, you're not required to stay with that estate attorney. Um, you know, hopefully we, we, we usually, if somebody dies in Pennsylvania, um, we almost always get the um, estate administration, um, not necessarily because we did the will, but because people were happy with the way they did the will. We keep in touch with, with our clients. Um, if you are, if we did a will for you 25 years ago, you'd have got endless emails, newsletters, books, tax cards. You'd get all this stuff. Most estate attorneys don't do anything. They do a will, you never hear from them again. Uh, I don't think that's a good way of doing business, particularly with the changing tax laws, et cetera. We picked up a lot of business, not because people thought their estate attorney did a bad job, it's because they never heard from their estate attorney. Um, anyway, don't let a banker or an attorney get a windfall by charging a percentage. Okay, now I'm gonna talk a little bit about um, a very, very common trust, which is when you have a minor beneficiary, for most of the viewers here, probably a grandchild. Obviously, you don't wanna have a lot of money going to a child who is very young. Yes, if the child is, depending on the state, less than 18 or 21, it will go into the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act type that more or less is a kind of a pre-done trust. But do you really want your grandchild to have control of this potentially a significant amount of money when they're 18 or 21 years old? I think it's a really bad idea. We want to protect against creditors. We want to protect against the child themselves from doing something stupid. We want to sometimes protect the money from the other parent. So let's say that you have a let's say you have a son who's married to a woman that you're not so happy with, and if you leave the money directly to a grandchild, the the spouse that you're not so happy with might be able to get some money from that grandchild, uh, either directly or indirectly. Well, sometimes you have a trust that will avoid that. Um, and then you can also dictate how that money can be used. Typically, health, maintenance, support, education, postgraduate education, down payment for a home, seed money for a house. And then you say when you, when you have that trust um, distribute principle, uh, sometimes some, we, most of the ones that we see are they just pick an age. Okay, at age 21, boom, the kid gets the money. Or at age 30, boom, the kid gets the money. What we tend to prefer are things like um, child gets one-third of 25, one-third of 30, one-third of 35. By the way, we've actually seen people uh, up that, one-third of 30, one-third of one, – one person had one-third at 60, one-third at 65, and then we terminated the trust at age 70. 
Um, and that person died with those documents in place and their older um, adult children are still living under that trust. Uh, sometimes that is appropriate. By the way, sometimes you have the trust never uh, terminate until the child dies, uh, known as a spendthrift trust. We'll get to that. And again, no good, I don't want my no good son to inherit one red cent of my money trust. Um, so also, um, you're almost always going to have a trust if you, if you have a child, because that child could have children, even if their children aren't born now. And the other thing is we are very big on disclaimers. We'll talk more about that. But if you leave money to a child, we're going to put in the, um, let's say, the foundation for that child to, quote, disclaim. And typically, if that child disclaims, they will disclaim into what we want it to be a trust for the benefit of that child's children or your grandchildren. So to me, even in the simplest situation, even if you have kids that aren't that don't have kids themselves, even if you have kids and the kids are 15 years old, it is not unforeseeable that that child will have children sometime down the road. It is not, it is foreseeable that that 15 year old child will have a child before you get around to changing your will or beneficiary designation. So even if you have, you know, people say, what are you doing trust for our grandchildren? You know, our kids are 15 years old, sometimes younger. Well, I want it to be in place just in case somebody doesn't get around to changing their documents and then something happens. All right, now, <clears throat> this is a really big one, is when the underlying asset of the trust is an IRA, retirement plan, 401k, 403b, etc. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the SECURE Act, which changes that somewhat. But to get what is possible with regards to the stretch IRA, in other words, to defer the uh, distribution or with a Roth IRA to defer the distribution for at least 10 years um, after the death of the IRA owner, or if you meet one of the exceptions and the trust can actually last for the life of the beneficiary, the trust must meet five specific conditions. I'm not going to spend time on each one of them. Um, it is in uh, the books that, um, that we are giving out as our bonus, but it is critical to preserve this trust. And the other thing that you have to be careful of is that you want to make sure that the title of the beneficiary is correct. So I'll just give you an example. Um, let's say that you want your son, uh, John, to be the beneficiary of your IRA. And you, you put down um, John's IRA. Well, that's not the magic language. You lose the stretch and you lose a lot of tax benefits. And there's a lot of bad ways that you can actually do this. But what you want to do, and particularly if it is a trust, is you actually name that trust with specialized language called something like inherited IRA of Joe Schmo for the benefit of John Schmo. And if you don't have that magic language, you can have a terrible situation. And I will admit it is tricky to get this stuff right. By Matt's estimate, 95% of the estate attorneys don't get this right. And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it basically said a little bit what I'm saying, which is it's kind of tr tricky to get the uh, language right. Most estate attorneys botch it. 
And then the conclusion of the article was, if you have a large IRA, don't name a trust as the beneficiary of the IRA, just name individuals. And I was thinking, that's really terrible advice. A lot of times you need a trust. Maybe the beneficiary is young, maybe the beneficiary is a spendthrift, maybe the beneficiary has creditors. Um, there's a whole slew of reasons why you might want to have a trust. And here the Wall Street Journal is telling people, hey, it's too complicated, just don't bother with a trust, just name somebody. And I was, I was just outraged. <laughs> I wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal. Dear Wall Street Journal, you know, you gave the advice that when the underlying asset is an IRA, don't name a trust, but name a beneficiary. That's a terrible idea. Instead, what you should do is find an estate attorney that knows about the five conditions, implements those, and gets that done right, that that would be the appropriate advice. Anyway, this was back when I had my radio show, and I had a guest that, that day. His name was Bruce Steiner, terrific estate attorney. Um, who's licensed, I believe, in New York and New Jersey. We refer a lot of work to him. Um, terrific guy. Anyway, you know, I started the, the radio show like I normally do. Hi, Bruce, how are you? He said, I'm enraged. What's the matter, Bruce? He said, today there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it said when the underlying asset was an IRA, not to name the trust as the beneficiary, but rather to name an individual. And what stupid advice. I was so mad. I wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, needless to say, the Wall Street Journal didn't publish either of our letters, but that was, um, but the key here to remember is that if you need a trust and the underlying asset is an IRA, it's a specialty type of trust, don't give up the idea of having a trust. If you need a trust, just make sure that you get the right estate attorney drafting it. And the biggest problem that we see when we are reviewing other attorneys' estate documents, it, often we see bad wills, but what we see much more often than we, than we don't is that the trust as the beneficiary of the IRA is not handled correctly, or when it should be him, when there should be a trust, they sometimes do what the Wall Street Journal said, which is don't name a trust which is one of the reasons why when we do these financial master plans, we always review people's wills. And even, even if we're not allowed to redo the wills ourselves, we can give direction to the client of what should be in the will that we're, or revocable trust that we're going to recommend be redone. And then sometimes, then the bad part is the estate attorney always doesn't do exactly what we were hoping. So sometimes it goes back and forth a couple of times in our office. But anyway, the reason why we do this is because when we do these financial master plans, and I think, you know, I, I, I love these plans and I think it provides enormous value, but you not only have to do, get the doc, you not only have to get the living part right, you have to get the dying part right. And you need appropriate estate administration and you need appropriate documents. And again, many more times, I think like 90% of the time, we are not happy when there is a trust as the designated beneficiary or even contingent beneficiary of an IRA.